Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 37. In this episode, we will be hearing from Joel Griffin, a missionary that serves the Lord with his family in Angola. The title of his message is Hope for the Wounded. It is such a fitting title with so much unrest and injustice front and center in our news. This message is based on a reflection of the story of Ruth. We trust you will be helped today as you listen to this podcast and that the hope of scriptures will bring peace to your heart. Well, we all love a short story. Short stories cut to the chase, they draw us in, and they leave us wanting more. A short story has usually a distinct message or moral for us, and that is exactly what the book of Ruth is. It's a short story, and it's found in God's Word, so it's the best of short stories inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And the moral of this short story is that God loves to redeem. Ruth, that name, means comfort. And this story is comforting for those who are in pain and need to be reminded of the hope that we have in God. The hope that we can have in our souls that God is able to act in the most dire and dark of circumstances. God's able to bring life into situations of death. He's able to bring in security and he's able to bring in future in situations of despair. And so my prayer is is that this story, as we look at it together, would bring that into your experience. Comfort. Now, to understand the book of Ruth, we have to understand some Old Testament concepts. We have to understand what redemption is. We need to understand a little bit about redemption. And redemption is a ransom. It's a price that's paid so that freedom can be given. And God, in His power and His generosity, He brings in release and freedom to those who are oppressed. Probably the most famous situation of redemption in the Old Testament is when God redeems his people out of the slavery in Egypt. And it's a powerful image even of our own salvation and the new exodus that is occurring in people's lives today through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have that redemption. But in other situations, sometimes people had to sell their property because of oppressive financial situations. And in those situations, a near family member should come in and redeem that property and free that person from their financial obligations. They would do that graciously. And then the family property, it would come back to the right tribal inheritance in the nation. In other situations, people literally sold themselves into slavery because of financial debts. And oppression was so real to them, but then a near family member could come in, pay the price to give them release. And so redemption is a really important concept in the Bible. Another concept that we need to understand to understand this message of hope in the short story Ruth is leveret marriage. Leveret marriage is something that was practiced in the ancient Near East and it goes back even before the institution of the Mosaic Law. Because if we go to Genesis 38, we see example of leveret marriage there. If someone died, a man died, without an heir, without a son to carry on the family name, then the brother, a brother in the family, would marry the widow to produce an heir to carry on 
the family name of the deceased person. So Leverett marriage and redemption are both intertwined in this story, as we'll see, because the book starts out um, explaining the death of some key individuals that create oppression in the life of a widow and in that family. Let's read together in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, and let's read the first five verses. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Milon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now it's a, it's a good time to dust off what we learned in high school English class. What's important as we look at a story? really important to notice what the narrator tells us, especially in the Bible, because the narrator in the stories is inspired of God. He's got God's view of the situation, and he can give us the most important facts that we need to know to get us up to speed and appreciate what God wants us to know. So with the economy of words, the narrator fills us in with the setting, the key pieces of the puzzle to help us enjoy and be helped by the story. What does the narrator think is important to tell us? There's a lot of things in this in this first paragraph and we'll get into them a little bit but also let's look at the very last verse of this chapter. The last part of the last verse, verse 22, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And we'll think about later why that piece of information from the narrator is so important and why that breathes hope into a situation of despair. Another thing to think about as we look at the stories in the Bible and these narrative sections is what are the characters in the story actually saying? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In order to get into the hearts of the characters, we've got to hear their words. And the the storyteller gives us the most important words that the characters have to say. We need to get into the heart of the characters in order to get into the heart of the story. A good question to think about is how to fill in the blank in the following phrase. God is the God who. How do we complete that phrase as we think about the story we're looking at? God is a God who, and we can learn about God and what he does and what he values. And as we read the book of Ruth, we can say God is a God who loves to redeem. Another question we could think about is why is this story even included in the Bible? Why did God deem this particular account to be fit into the Bible? And how does it fit in with the whole message of the Bible? How is the theme of the book of Ruth linked together with the other teachings in the Bible. 
Theology is a fancy word, but theology is like connecting the dots. How can we connect the dots as we think about God and the Bible when we're reading this story? Can we connect dots from Ruth to Genesis and the Pentateuch? Can we connect the dots from Ruth, say, to what the Chronicler has to say, and maybe to the Gospels, to Ephesians, for example? Can we connect the dots from Ruth to Revelation? That's theology, and that will leave us full and satisfied and, and excited as we read the Bible. Every good story has tension, has excitement, has something that pulls you in. Let's just think about a couple questions that we have in our hearts as we read the whole book of Ruth. The first question, and we're going to think a lot about this one tonight, is number one, will Naomi stay bitter? Naomi at the start of the story, is very bitter. Will she stay that way? Or will God redeem something in Naomi's heart? This another question is, will Ruth ever remarry? She's a widow. Is there any hope for Ruth? And then later on in the story, as we learn more about the characters, we might have this burning question. Will Boaz be willing to redeem? Will someone else step in and redeem instead of Boaz? There's tension in the story. Another overarching question that we have is, is there hope for God's people? This story finds its setting in a really dark time. The setting of the story is in the period of the judges, and that period of time in Israel's history was a really dark period. A time of cyclical behavior, a burst of obedience, departure from God, situations of despair and oppression, saviors coming in, saving the people, bringing them back to God, and then that whole cycle over again. Let's look at the last verse of the book of Judges. What does it say? Just glance back at the last verse of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Those are dark days. Days of chaos and anarchy. I think we can relate a little bit to the days of the judges, even in our own day today. As people and as societies and governments set aside the moral standard that's set forth by God and His Word, our Creator, really we're left to everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes. And everything is subjective, everything is relative, and there's no firm foundation anymore if we walk away from God's moral standard. Everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes. Notice with me in verse 1 of Ruth here, what's going on. The judges are ruling, but there's also famine in the land. Hard times. Times of hunger. You know, it's not surprising that there is famine. Because God had promised in a very special situation and relationship with the people of Israel that if they obeyed Him, then He would bless them and they would have harvests. There would be no shortages. But if they departed from Him, there would be oppression, and their barns wouldn't be full, and their vats wouldn't overflow. There's famine because it's not just a time of physical famine and physical hunger, it's spiritually barren as well. This is the setting of this book, and there's hope breathed in to a hard situation. What's very ironic here is that during this famine, Elimelech and his family depart a place called Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Elimelech is guiding his family away from a place called the house of bread. The ironic thing is, is that he's going to Moab, a place that is not blessed especially by God. He's going away from the house of bread. So interesting that so often in our lives we turn to the wrong sources for nourishment. We find ourselves in a tough situation and instead of turning into the Lord, we turn away from Him. And instead of finding spiritual nourishment where we're supposed to in God, we turn to broken cisterns, we turn to empty fluff, we turn to chasing bubbles, we turn and we try and feed on what the world feeds on, and we end up hungry, even though we know better, even though we've already in the past tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We find ourselves leaving the house of bread in search of nourishment. And so the family leaves and they go. Before we move on from this little idea here, just notice with me that in verse number 21, as Naomi is returning back to Bethlehem after the events over in Moab, what does she say? She says in verse 21, I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. That is so interesting. Hindsight is 2020, isn't it? At the end of chapter 1, about 10 years have gone by. Naomi's looking back and she's saying, actually, when Elimelech and I and our two sons left the house of bread, we were full. We had everything we needed. Now I understand what true emptiness is. You see, the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. This happens to me. This happens to my wife and my wife and I together. Sometimes we look over at someone else's situation and we think the grass is so much greener over there. And sometimes we have to learn the hard way that we were actually already full to overflowing. Thankfully, God is a redeeming God. We already mentioned that at the end of chapter 1, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Chapter 1 starts with a famine, and chapter 1 ends with the barley harvest. The start of the harvest, in the season of first fruits, when they would be taking the first sheaf of the harvest and lifting it up to God and praising God and thanking Him for His goodness. But it, in the lifting up of that sheaf, that small portion of the harvest, they were lifting up their hearts and saying thank you to God for the whole harvest. And they were living in faith and hope for all that was going to come off the fields. It was a time of hope. And so here in chapter 1, we're going to look more into the hardship, but the chapter ends with hope. That there is hope for Naomi in her bitterness. As Before we get into the more details here in chapter 1, let's just look at a few questions in the whole book. Because I think that an interesting way to get into the content and the really important lessons in this whole book is to notice the questions that are asked in the book. The first question is in verse 19 of chapter 1. It's a question that's asked from the women, by the women in Bethlehem, as Ruth and Naomi return into the town. And the women lay eyes on Naomi for the first time in a decade, and life has taken a toll on Naomi. And what do they say? Is this Naomi? 
the first question that we should think about in the book is this Naomi and the lesson that we'll find is that redemption is hope for the wounded and the hurting the second question is in chapter 2 verse 5 and the question is this whose young woman is this and as we look into that question we'll learn redemption is gracious the third question is in verse 19 of chapter 2 listen to this question where did you glean today and as we look into that question we learn that redemption is God's plan and he is sovereign over the circumstances of our life the fourth question as we look at this whole book of comfort is in chapter 3 verse 2 do you notice the question there the question is is Boaz not our relative and we learn that there is there is indeed a redeemer and the last question there's no question mark on the end of the last question but it is there is a question in Boaz's heart as he says this in chapter 4 verse 4 he says to the other potential person that could redeem in the situation he says if you will not redeem it tell me that I may know and the lesson behind all of that is that in redemption there is security so first of all brothers and sisters let's just think about this question is this Naomi let's learn together that God loves to grant freedom and release to us when we're in despair he loves to give us hope when we're oppressed and hurting and wounded when we think about redemption we immediately I think as Christians we immediately think of redemption from our sins that is the ultimate freedom isn't it to be redeemed from the penalty of our sins and from the power of sin in our life and eventually we're going to be redeemed even from the presence of sin when we reach the side of our Lord Jesus after the rapture that's what we think about Ephesians 1 7 says in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace but I'd like to think with you now that redemption can also be on a smaller scale in situations in our life redemption occurs anytime that God comes into our life into our experience and picks up the broken pieces that exist in our life whether by direct sin of our own or just sin in the world and he puts together something we could have never imagined something for good he produces a beautiful creation out of an ash heap that is also redemption God does not want us to be floundering in captivity to anything in our Christian life God wants us to live in the power of freedom in Jesus Christ and God loves to bring beauty out of the ash heap recently we were listening to Louis Giglio speaking at Ravi Zacharias's memorial service and Louis he said it recounted a story at the memorial service that shows us the redemption of God in a more in a smaller way than the redemption of a soul from their sin redemption in their experience in Angola Louisiana there's a maximum security prison and it houses many of the most hardened criminals and it was inmates in the carpenter shop of that federal penitentiary that actually made the coffin for the body of Ravi Zacharias 
When the representative for Ravi's family came to receive the coffin from the penitentiary, they said, you probably don't know who this coffin is for. But the inmate present interrupted and said something like, oh, don't worry, we know who this coffin's for. It's for Ravi Zacharias. And you know, I was thinking, this is just like God, isn't it? This place is known for hands that have taken life. But now these same hands have been able to form this casket that will carry God's faithful servant into eternal life. Isn't that redemption? That is redemption. And that's the power of God in the life of people who have known the depths of despair and the the darkness of depravity, but they've tasted the forgiveness of sins and now their hands are not used for taking life, but for creating a beautiful product for the glory of God. You think of Joseph as he languishes in prison for years. God comes into that situation and he frees Joseph from being overwhelmed from the seeming waste of years of his life. And God comes in and he grants release to Joseph with this beautiful miracle really in his life where he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and saves thousands of lives from death and from starvation. God is a redeeming God and he redeems the pain of Joseph's life in that situation. Brother and sister, you can have the same hope. You can have the comfort that God has a redeeming program in your life. God had a redeeming program in the life of Naomi. I'd like to read with you now verses 6 through 22 of chapter 1, and we'll just think about God's redeeming acts in the life of Naomi. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Now in there in that verse where we we see that Naomi's thinking about leveret marriage, as if there's another son that could marry them and raise up an heir. Verse 12, Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. 
Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Life had taken its toll on Naomi, and Naomi was bitter. When we come into difficult times in our life, we have a choice. Will this pull me away from God? Or will this, in this circumstance, will I pursue God and draw near to Him? She blamed God. Naomi's response shows that she blames the Almighty. She uses this term for God, Almighty. Almost, it seems like Naomi saying, God is Almighty. He can do anything. Why did he allow Elimelech to die untimely? Why did my sons die too? The Almighty could have prevented this. He could have stopped it. Why did he allow it? And Naomi was becoming bitter. It's an easy thing to do, isn't it? It's easy in hard times to grow despondent toward God. Naomi had made a mistake. She interpreted God through her difficulties rather than her difficulties through God. And this means that she ended up blaming God rather than running to Him for comfort and seeking refuge in Him. It's interesting that in her bitterness, Naomi was hardly an evangelist. Remember what she said to Ruth and Orpah? Don't come with me. Don't come back. To the community of God's people. And when Orpah went back, she turned to Ruth and said, Look, Orpah's going back to her gods. You should go too. She was hardly evangelistic. And when we become bitter, it even affects the way we represent the Lord Jesus in the world. And it affects our witness to others. We implode upon ourselves. Did Naomi have a rough time? Yes, she did. And isn't that the beautiful thing about God's word? God's word and God's redemption does not brush away our hard times, does not brush them away and say, oh, that's nothing. You need to toughen up. You need to put the best foot forward. Put on your brave face and carry on. No. God sees our pain. He lets us know that he feels it with us. But the beautiful thing about redemption is that God comes down into our situation with us and brings in hope and life where, apart from God, it would be impossible. If you talk to Joseph in the prison cell, I'm sure there were times of deep despondency. But God did a miracle. It's amazing what God can do and how God can redeem. So there's hope for the wounded and the oppressed. Are you like Naomi? Do you need your heart warmed up? 
I've been there. I know what it's like when my heart does not have worship in it. Too dark, too depressed, too frail, too overwhelmed. But God is able, through the most unexpected circumstances at times, to bring redemption into your life. Naomi, in this story, she finds redemption through Ruth, the foreigner that had married into her family. And we're going to look at the end of the story very, very shortly and see how God, in the most unexpected way, brings Naomi back to a place of worship. I remember a time in my life when I didn't have worship. I was full of, I was so down and frail and anxious. And I would listen to Ravi Zacharias for a couple hours a day. And I listened to Ravi's messages about God's reality and the believability of the Christian faith. What is true? What is false? How the message of Jesus Christ is unique and about God's goodness and reality. And slowly over time, Ravi massaged my heart back into beating. The Lord used him to bring me back to a place a place of worship. Maybe you know, just like I do, that healing is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. Healing is a process. And God is a redeeming God that you can get back that pl- to that place of fullness again. You might feel so empty and so hardened and so worn out and just blah. But God is able to bring you back to that vibrant place of worship and life again. Ravi Zacharias loved to quote a hymn writer named Annie Johnson Flint. And Ravi was someone who lived with chronic pain. And he had horrible back pain, but yet he still traveled millions of kilometers by plane and was away from home more than he was at home with the message of the gospel. And I believe that he and Annie Johnson Flint were kindred spirits, even though so separated by generations, because Annie Johnson Flint also experienced the redemption of God through in chronic pain. And Annie Johnson Flint wrote, and Ravi had this distinct way of quoting it so fluently and quickly and so full of impact. But her words go like this. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits, His grace has no measure, His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. And my prayer for you is that you would be able to say those words from a full heart, even though you might be in a dark place. Let's look at the very end of this book. We're going to jump over all the details about how the redemption happened, and we're just going to go to the end of the book in chapter 4 and read verses 14 and 15. Notice it was the women in chapter 1 with the question, Is this Naomi? Now let's look at what the women say at the end of the story. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. It was the women of the community that noticed Naomi's bitterness. And it was the women of the community that noticed Naomi's transformation and the redeeming act of God in her life. They named the child. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't Ruth and Boaz. It wasn't Naomi that named the child. This child of hope. Someone to carry on the family name. And actually this one, Obed, the forefather of King David. This special dynasty in all of history. The forefather, ultimately, of the Messiah. The eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. The women of the community notice the redeeming hand of God in Naomi's life. And they give Obed his name. Well, guess what it means? Obed means worshiper. Worshiper. Naomi, she says, just call me Mara. Call me bitter. I'm empty. Well, God steps in. God does his miracle. She goes from Mara, almost unrecognizable as Naomi, according to the people of the community, And Obed is named after her. Obed receives the name worshiper. Isn't that amazing? Notice here that the child is referred to as Naomi's child. In in chapter 1, Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, It's impossible. I cannot have more kids. Don't come with me. And at the end of the book, it's Naomi who is the one holding the baby. God breathes life into situations of death. He brings hope into situations of despair. He brings beauty out of destruction. This is what God does, and he does it ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So we can have comfort and hope. We can have freedom from oppression because God is a God who loves to redeem. God is the God of redemption. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. May God bless his word to us all. Mm -hmm.